Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton's encampments debate reaches a new level. No more rent hikes and rent evictions for this group of local tenants. We have a new study to tell you about, about marketing mascots. Your vehicle's dashboard is going to change and it's going to cost you. Retail sales remain strong in Canada. And cheers to Wild Ontario. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Town Hall last night on the Hamilton Mountain was at the Hell Park Learning Center and that was well attended as people gathered together to discuss the encampment issue in this city. And here to talk about it is Councillor for Ward 8, John Paul Danko with the City of Hamilton who joins us now on GMH. JP, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm well. Well, paint a picture for our listeners this morning on what happened last night. Well, we just had a, an amazing turnout. Over 500 mountain residents came uh, to listen to and share their thoughts on the encampment issue in Hamilton. I heard a lot of compassion, a lot of really sophisticated understanding of the issues that are facing our city and a desire to help, but also some very clear expectations as we move forward of what is appropriate and what's not appropriate in public parks and public space. So we're at a, a juncture in which we're collecting public feedback. Did you hear anything last night that made you and, and the fellow councillors in attendance think, well, that, that might not be a bad idea? I think uh, for the most part, people had a really uh, clear understanding that a lot of the problems that we're facing with homelessness is really addictions and mental health supports. Uh, so there was some very clear calls, to, especially to the provincial government, as this is a health care issue, for the need for additional supports, uh, in, in particular for addictions. And that was uh, part of the focus for a lot of the discussion. And then on top of that, I think our staff uh, just did an amazing job kind of explaining the scope of the problem, that encampments are here, there are homeless people, and it's a last resort and they're not going anywhere. So I think as, as a municipality, we have a, a, a responsibility to... Uh, manage the situation and residents uh, were very clear that when it comes to public spaces to public parks that um, there, there are some expectations that are in place and public safety was a very clear thread uh, throughout the evening the need to uh, to make sure our public safe spaces are safe for everyone. Was anyone in attendance concerned about public safety due to encampments? Uh, issues came up, uh, such as public drug use, uh, needles that get left lying around. There's some discussion over, uh, you know, petty theft and crime. Mountain Police uh, and the, the uh, support from Hamilton Police were there. So they had some uh, discussion about the role of policing when it comes to uh, encampment support. But overall, it was a very positive discussion. And I, I think, you know, residents really want uh, to help and want to be part of the solutions. And I, I think that part of it was really refreshing. It uh, wasn't that long ago when the idea of a homeless registry or an encampment registry kind of came uh, to the fore. What was the discussion around that last night? Uh, that did come up. That wasn't really the focus of the, the discussion, though. It was more around um, moving forward with the City of Hamilton's encampment strategy and the idea of sanctioned encampment sites. So that would be up to 20 to, to up to 50 tents of up to five locations around the city. So there was some discussion of what that might look like, what supports would have to be in place, what would be appropriate, what level of enforcement is necessary, and then also the encampment protocol, which would allow up to five tents 
uh, 50 meters away from playgrounds, 50 meters away from um, private property and each other. And, and, you know, again, a lot of the discussion was if this, if this was in your local park, what would you like, you know, need to see in place for it to be successful? What was the reaction to that, that, that idea of a sanctioned uh, homelessness encampment tent? Uh, you know, uh, sight on the mountain. Well, I, I can't imagine too many people were thinking, yeah, I want that in my backyard. No, and I think that came out fairly clearly with, uh, you know, the over 500 people that were in attendance is that uh, they really didn't see, uh, you know, allowing encampments in public parks, especially as being appropriate. But I think that they, they still understood the scope of the problem. And again, they kept coming back to this issue of addictions and mental health. And also, uh, one of the ideas was we need more shelter support. So if the issue is that people are in camp because they don't have space and shelters, well, then let's invest in shelters where they have supports in place to assist the, those people that need it. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Ward 8 Councillor here in the city, John Paul Danko, joining us on uh, GMH as they discussed uh, homeless encampments last night in a community uh, town hall with about 500 residents in attendance. Uh, where do we go from here? What are some of the next steps? Well, we're, we're collecting, uh, you know, that feedback from the public. I'm hearing very clearly from residents, uh, which will help guide my position on the issue staff have a report back in August and then there will be a final decision made. Well, we'll see what that final decision is. Uh, John Poldanko, thanks for the time today. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This might be my favorite story in a long, long time and, it, and it, it's happening right here in Hamilton. Residents of an apartment building, tenants in this building downtown in Hamilton taking a pretty bold step and a unique one at that because they want to protect themselves from what in many cases happens on an annual basis or even more than that when it comes to rent evictions or rent hikes. Here to describe what is going on is Emily Power. She's a tenant at this apartment building on Caroline Street and she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Emily, good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning. So tell us what you guys are up to. We are trying to hold on to our affordable homes and um, protect the stock of affordable rentals in Hamilton for the long term. And so to that end, you are in uh, attempting to buy the apartment you're living in, correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, we've submitted an offer uh, to purchase the building and it was accepted by the landlord. And uh, we have the next year to put together our financing with the goal of converting the building into a nonprofit rental housing cooperative. So how is this working? Because, you know, when when I think of the prototypical rental uh, tenant, uh, you know, they're they're struggling, right? Rental rates have gone through the roof. They're living paycheck to paycheck, as most or many Canadians are. And how is a bunch of tenants able to buy an entire building? So uh, we, we didn't want anyone in the building to face barriers to participating in this. So our goal all along has been uh, to use public uh, funding from affordable housing agencies and community foundation, uh, these philanthropic individuals uh, to help us put together our 20% down payment. And then with that secured, we'll go off and we'll get a mortgage. Uh, and then over time, we'll pay off the mortgage just like any homeowner would, uh, but through our rental payments. 
I'm picturing uh, a bunch of you tenants uh, sitting around a room or maybe, I don't know, in the laundry room or in a, a nearby park kind of considering, you know, what to do about these rental rates. And someone comes up with, well, why don't we just buy the building? Is that kind of how it started? Yeah, we've had many uh, tenant association meetings actually at the, the church hall nearby um, and in different people's apartments. Um, yeah, it was quite a shock to us when we learned the landlord had put the building up for sale. And I think, you know, stories about rent evictions are just so frequent in the media in Hamilton. Um, we knew that if an investment company purchased the building at the price the landlord was asking, uh, it would only be a matter of time before they would try to push uh, longstanding tenants out. Uh, and we'd heard about uh, rental co-ops. Uh, there is a, a local co-op federation for Hamilton, St. Catharines, Niagara. Uh, they have 50 member co-ops and they're you know, home to hundreds of people. So this is a proven model. Um, and, and we thought, hey, let's reach out to these people and, and see if this is an option for us. Emily Power is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CH Bell, a tenant of this apartment on Caroline Street. And uh, the tenants there have said, uh, listen, uh, let, forget about rental hikes and rent evictions. We're going to buy the building and uh, and use it as she has just described. When you approached the landlord with this offer, what was their reaction? Uh, he was supportive from day one. Uh, I think he also recognizes, you know, the reality of um, the rental market and, and the way these investment companies operate. Um, you know, there are several seniors in the building who've lived here 30, 40 years. Uh, and, you know, they would probably be the first that this uh, any other buyer would try to evict because they benefit from, you know, low rents through rent control. Uh, so he he was sympathetic, and uh, once he saw, you know, we were serious and we had our money together, uh, he accepted our offer. How many units are in this building, and is everyone on board with this plan? There are 21 units in the building, uh, about 35 residents overall. Um, and yes, we, we took a vote at the Tenant Association, and... Uh, it was unanimous. Everybody wanted to move ahead with this. So what happens when one of you move out for whatever the circumstance is? How does that work? Does the next person have to get into this plan? So uh, it's just like a, a regular rental agreement. Um, so when if I were to move out, I, I wouldn't take any, any money with me. I wouldn't profit from this in any way. Hmm. Um, but uh, the, the next person who moved into my unit would be paying... Uh, the same rent as, as what I was paying when I left. Uh, and, you know, uh, it, it's just like in a regular rental apartment, they would put down uh, first and last month's rent. Um, and, you know, they would agree to participate in the co-op. You know, it's, it's you know, run collectively. But beyond that, you know, there's no kind of down payment required. And certainly when you leave, you're not taking any profit with you. This is a, a really phenomenal story, and it's happening right here in this city. And Emily, uh, you and the other tenants who are in on this uh, have to be congratulated. And hopefully this has an opportunity to catch on elsewhere. Thanks for the time this morning and good luck with us. Thanks very much. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. So there's a new study out by researchers from the University of Ottawa. It was funded by the Heart and Stroke Foundation. They found a link between licensed cartoon characters like Spider-Man and spokes characters like uh, Lucky the Leprechaun from Lucky Charms or the Snap Crackle Pop Guys in enticing children to eat, well, unhealthy stuff. And they found that children preferred these products that were advertised with those characters, some of them that they love, and would ask their parents to purchase them. You probably did this when you were a kid, I'm sure. 
The cartoon characters, though, the study authors warn, present threats to children's health. Kate Park is a registered dietitian and diabetes educator with the Hamilton Family Health Team and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kate, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great, thank you. What are your thoughts on this research? It sounds like nothing new, but we should pay attention to this. No, it's definitely not new. We've had similar studies even as long ago as like a decade uh, that showed similar results that cartoons have a powerful influence when it comes to the decision-making of children around the products that they want to buy. Unfortunately, many of these cartoon characters are associated with higher processed foods, um, and as a result, children are drawn to them. There was a discussion at one point of, of making some sort of law, and it might be in effect. I, I don't have the research in front of me in terms of, you know, not allowing uh, advertisers to do so at certain times of the day. And that's clearly not having an impact. I mean, we've definitely floated around laws like that before, and certain provinces are definitely stricter than others when it comes to that. Unfortunately, as far as regulation around that has gone, um, I don't think there's been enough consistency for it to really make an impact. So how do we turn the tide here? What should we be doing? Well, I, I mean, it's the great debate between, you know, freedom of choice and, you know, I always say it's also we should have a freedom from manipulation and we know the power these things can have. And if you're a young parent burnt out and your child is constantly requesting a certain product, it might be nice if those influencers weren't at play. Interestingly enough, though, those cartoons can actually be used for the benefit of promoting healthy foods. They've done similar studies where they've put those cartoons, say, on a package of broccoli, and that actually caused the children to choose the broccoli over something as, you know, desirable as a chocolate bar. So why aren't we doing more of that? I mean, what's the holdup? <laughs> Unfortunately, I think it's a matter of profit. Um, some products are just going to make more money than others. So unfortunately, broccoli's not a big money maker. <laughs> the almighty dollar strikes again. Uh, <laughs> Kate Park is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kate is a registered dietitian and diabetes educator with the Hamilton Family Health Team. You can check out more online at hamiltonfht.ca. Let's talk about childhood obesity in this community. How big of a problem are you seeing? I mean, it's it's tough to gauge, but we do know that rates are going up. We do know that there are struggles when it comes to weight gain, increased risk for chronic disease, such as high cholesterol and high blood sugars. Um, we're doing our best in primary care to support and put a lot of prevention in place, education for parents and children to encourage healthier choices. But it's an uphill battle, especially when we're going up against um, a a society that really makes a lot of these processed foods very accessible and easy to choose from. And there's some major health impacts from everything from heart disease to type 2 diabetes. Yes. Uh, the thing is, if we establish these habits when we're young, they tend to translate into adulthood. So if we can establish healthy eating habits at a young age, those will also translate into adulthood. So we really do need to be making effort to try and educate and support those healthier choices in young children, in young adults, heck, even in adults, mm -hmm. um, so that you know, we can be a healthier Hamilton. Yeah, we're, we're talking to the adults here in the room, not the kids, because the kids we know are going to be kids. They want they want the food that is associated with perhaps their favorite superhero. It's the parents that have to make the ultimate decision. 
Ultimately, yes, parents are responsible for the food choices for their children. And while I certainly encourage them to have some of those fun foods in their diet, I think it's an important strike a balance. We really do need to look at the base of what we're incorporating into children's diets and try and encourage more uh, whole foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, meats, things like that. Kate, great discussion. Thanks for chiming in this morning. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. As a car guy, this headline caught my attention. Your car's dashboard is about to get a lot more expansive. And expensive. Wah, wah. Go to globalnews.ca, 900chml.com to check out the article written by the one and only Alan Cross, the host of the ongoing history of new music, who just happens to be our guest here on GMH. Alan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Yes. Hi. So our dashboards have changed uh, immensely over the last few decades. So what is the next transformation? Well, automobiles are moving from internal combustion engines to electric power. This is going to create a problem for dealerships because dealerships make most of their money on after-sales service. Electric vehicles don't have don't need oil changes. They don't have exhaust systems. They don't have clunky transmissions. They have many things that an, uh, an electric vehicle does not have. So this is going to create a shortfall in revenue for dealers. This means that automobile manufacturers are going to have to find new sources of revenue. And one of the sources that they think is out there is the monetization of the driving experience. Now, I'll give you a quick little example. In the uh, in Europe, BMWs come with heated seats. All of them do. The problem is that you can't access those heated seats unless you pay a monthly subscription to BMW. Uh, they will then turn on the heated seats and then you will be toasty throughout the winter. This is going to be inevitably applied to the dashboard. Now, for a while we had proprietary systems. Each manufacturer had their own thing in the dashboard, but they were clunky and awful. And then Apple CarPlay and Android Auto come along and they're much better at creating an interesting experience within the infotainment system of your vehicle. But now the automobile manufacturers are snapping back to this idea of a proprietary system because they need to harvest all the data they can possibly get from the driver and the passengers in any particular vehicle. Uh, Mercedes-Benz and Hyundai are, are two manufacturers that are leading the way. Uh, BMW, again, is also part of it. For example, the next round of BMW vehicles, uh, the 5 Series, will come with TiVo capability. So yeah, the same stuff, the same hardware that you use to record TV programs will be available in a BMW, <laughs> not for the driver, obviously, but for the passenger in the right-hand seat and for anybody in the back seat. What's the appetite been like for those in Europe who are already in this? That's a good question, but they're, they're a little annoyed, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Um, if you know anybody with a Tesla, they will tell you that these sorts of pushed software updates unlock all kinds of capabilities that they didn't know their cars had. They were there, but until Tesla gives you the software keys to unlock it, you have, have no idea. Which brings me to this idea of the connected car. Uh, we are basically seeing the new generation of cars being computers on wheels with millions and millions of lines of code. 
And these cars are all going to be connected more and more and more to the cloud. Once you have a car continuously connected to something external in a two-way sort of way, data can be used to in all kinds of different ways. Um, they can unlock things in your vehicle. Uh, they can provide services for you that's not available over the air the old-fashioned way. And this is where we finally get to radio. When it comes to satellite radio, uh, Sirius XM pays the manufacturers an undisclosed sum to put a satellite radio in each and every car. It's up to you to activate that radio and pay a monthly subscription. So the thinking is now, if this is the era of the connected car and everything is going to be connected to the cloud and everything is going to be software based, what does this mean for the traditional AM FM radio in the vehicle with a physical tuner, with an antenna, and something that receives over-the-air analog broadcast signals. The thinking is, and this is what I learned at Canadian Music Week a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. is that manufacturers are going to move to having radios software-based, meaning that they will get their, um, their, their programming, the information, via cellular data from the cloud. And if it is a software radio tuner, that's the property of the automobile manufacturer residing in their proprietary system in the dashboard, what's to stop them from charging us for it? Yeah, we can see that coming. It's going to cost us more, not only to buy the vehicles, but to uh, entertain and, uh, well, make us feel warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Alan, we'll have to leave it there. Appreciate the commentary this morning. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Despite a spike in the cost of living, we know where that has gone over the last year and a bit. Food insecurity, that is still very much a real thing. So is our fear of a looming recession. Higher interest rates, bigger mortgage payments, all of that factored in. It is surprising to hear that Canada is leading most countries in retail sales. We're still shopping. We're still spending money. We're still buying things. The Collier's 2023 retail outlook shows Canadian retail sales climbed 2.4% in March compared with March of 2022. And you're, you're probably thinking, well, 2.4%, that doesn't sound like a big number. Well, it outperformed most developed markets around the world. In fact, the U.S. Um, retail sales rose 1.6%. They declined in the U.K., France, and Germany. So what gives in Canada? Bruce Winder is a retail analyst and author of Retail Before, During, and After COVID-19 and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Bruce, welcome back to the show. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the program. What gives on the retail front? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of different uh, things happening right now. Um, one of the biggest issues I think that's happening that gives Canada a bit of an advantage over the other G7 countries is our population growth. So our immigration, um, it is, you know, we added a million people last year and, uh, you know, people want to spend money, right, when you come to the country. And I think that's one of the differences between us, say, and, and especially some of the European countries. And the European countries have, um, have even higher food inflation, believe it or not. Uh, there was a recent campaign by Alberta, must, I, I think it might still be going on, enticing mm -hmm. Ontarians to move out of places like the, the, the GTA where housing prices are going you know, through the roof and move to Alberta. And Alberta is now outperforming Ontario in terms of retail sales. That, that must be a big reason why. 
Yeah, that's a big part of it too. That's a good point. I remember seeing the uh, the ads. I think in the subway in Toronto, you know, saying move to move to Alberta, yeah. right? It's cheaper and you know things like that. And uh, I think people listen because you're right. They did move over there, and uh, they're helping leading the way, you know. And um, you know, Quebec was actually one of the lowest um, in terms of retail sales growth, and um, I know they have lower immigration too. But yeah, a lot of it I think has to do with with how many people are coming into the country and where they're going, you know, where people are migrating to. What are we buying? Anything in particular? Well, you know what? January was uh, was pretty robust, and a lot of it right now, uh, at least then, because it sort of tapered off since January. Um, you know, I know March was good, but it's sort of in the downward direction now. But people have been buying, uh, have been out traveling and going to restaurants and things like that, especially early on in the year just to kind of get some of that COVID revenge out of their system. And, um, you know, people were kind of cooped up, so they're spending their money. Having said that, you know, I think I think sort of the, the party train is slowing down here because if you look at how much debt Canadians have, we've got $1.85 of debt for every dollar we make. And that is an all-time high. So I have a feeling that sort of the spending is is starting to slow down a bit. That COVID revenge you speak of, that is people feeling that, you know, they were cooped up for a couple of years and they're now going to spend because they want to enjoy life. Exactly, right? You know, we're all cooped up for a couple of half, two and a half years in some cases, right? So, you know what? Just wanted to get out, enjoy life. We had money burning a bit of a hole in our pockets, too, because we had a high savings rate coming out of the pandemic through government subsidies and just the fact that we couldn't get out and spend. So, People had that money and they just wanted to go enjoy themselves. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Bruce Winder, retail analyst and author of Retail Before, During and After COVID-19. We're talking about retail sales in this country still pretty healthy, although StatsCan is expected to release its latest uh, retail trade data for April uh, tomorrow. I'm guessing we're going to expect a a softening of consumer spending? Yeah, I think uh, we're going to see a little bit of a softening. Um, it's been it's been heading that way. Um, the last month they reported, and I think they signaled that uh, the next reading would be would be softer. And it makes sense, you know, for the reasons we talked about. You know, you've got a bit of a perfect storm here. You've got high high interest rates. So if you're paying a mortgage, you know, your mortgage payments have went up in some cases forty percent. You know, inflation is pretty sticky still, at least in the food category. You're starting to get some job losses as well. So it's becoming a bit of a perfect storm, unfortunately. We'll see where the numbers go. Bruce, appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Take care. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This segment, however, does involve beer, at least talking about beer, because there's a new one out from Royal City Brewing that has been launched to raise money to help expand a pretty cool program. It's an environmental outreach at the University of Guelph, and it's called Wild Ontario. And here to talk about it is Jennifer Bach, the Program Director of Wild Ontario at the University of Guelph. Jennifer, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. So this uh, product was launched on Friday. How did it go? It was incredible. It absolutely exceeded our expectations. We're feeling overwhelmed with gratitude from the community. So that is a great event. The the brewery is pretty local to the university, just a couple of blocks away, and and folks rolled in from far and wide to help show their support. Nice. So how does the fundraising component work? Well, Royal City 
runs a community collaboration program, the Royal City Brewery, and they choose to work with a couple of different community organizations that are doing great work locally uh, every summer. And from those collaborations, uh, 50 cents from each can goes back directly to the organization to do the good work that they're doing. So how is Wild Ontario going to use this funding? Yeah, well, we are a program at the University of Guelph, but we're a program that is always looking to grow and expand our reach. Uh, we do community outreach education, actually, all across the province of Ontario, in the city of Guelph and on campus, of course. Uh, but with more support, we can expand our reach. We do environmental outreach education, as you said. And so that means we're, we're taking our team, our team that includes some pretty cool wildlife ambassadors mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of extremely dedicated university students. And we head on out into the province, into schools, museums, nature centers, festivals, really anywhere where somebody would like to learn about nature and science and birds in particular. And we're going to bring those animals out to teach people about why they're so important and why we should protect our shared environment. So what's the takeaway for those students, uh, for let's say, you know, in that school setting? What do they get out of this presentation? Yeah, so we give them an opportunity to meet up close. We say nose to beak with one of the, the incredible raptors, so hawks, owls, falcons, uh, that we share this province with. And beyond that, we hope that they learn maybe a little bit about some of their natural history and adaptation, some of their environment that they live in. But also, most of all, that we in Ontario are incredibly lucky to get to share our home with creatures like this and why it's so critical that we think every day about how we can protect the natural environment that we share. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Jennifer Bach, the Program Director of Wild Ontario at the University of Guelph. They are collaborating with Royal City Brewing to raise some money to help expand their environmental outreach of this program. Um, when it comes to the status of Ontario's wild bird population, we, we've heard a lot about, you know, the, the a lot of attention has been paid to bees in the province. You know, what, what's going on with the bee population? When it comes to wild birds in this province, what is the status? Yeah, I, so I think those things are obviously very, very linked. Biodiversity, we're all a part of it. Um, and when it comes down to it, the most important thing is that the, the environment, the habitats that these animals live in, uh, be it bees or birds or humans, uh, those habitats are so important. And so we need to spend a little bit more time and energy resources uh, thinking a little bit about how we can maintain more natural spaces that these things can continue to live in. Um, certainly when it comes to birds, there are some that are in more trouble than others. We have birds that are endangered provincially and federally uh, because of habitat loss and lots of other factors. Um, some are doing really well. We have birds that, uh, especially the ones who are most adaptable to human changes, um, birds like, for example, the red-tailed hawk. That's a, a great raptor we work with a couple at Wild Ontario. Uh, and we can see those guys around. We call them the highway hawk because you can spot them on your drive into work most days. And that's because that particular species happens to be very adaptable. So they have figured out how to live around people and near highways and in cities and in parks. Um, catching creatures, animals that are also comfortable living around people um, like squirrels and rats and those types of things. Uh, but there are others that are a little more sensitive and a little bit less adaptable. So their special habitat type or their special food source uh, might be declining and that's causing some major problems. So I think personally, I like to talk about the, the bigger picture. We need those green spaces. We need to you know, lower our own negative impact on the environment so that 
most animals can do really well out there uh, in spite of us. We can live harmoniously. As part of the Wild Ontario program, as you're going from school to school or, or other places, you do have these, um, uh, uh, I guess, avian ambassadors, these non, non-releasable non birds of prey. What makes them non-releasable? What has happened to these birds? Yeah, great question. So at Wild Ontario, we work with a team of what we call permanently non-releasable native raptors. And that means that these birds have suffered some kind of negative human impact. And they ended up at what you would call a rescue center or a wildlife rehabilitation center. Um, there are a bunch of licensed rehab centers in the province of Ontario and across the world. Um, something like the Toronto Wildlife Center is a big one that we work with or Shades of Hope uh, so these are facilities that would take in an injured animal and do everything that they can to make sure they can get back to the wild, if at all possible. Now, that's the goal, obviously, for every animal that comes through those doors. They want to patch them up and be able to send them back out to live uh, a long, healthy, wild life. But there are cases where the animal isn't going to be able to go back to the wild, either because of their disposition or because of a, a physical challenge. Uh, so the birds that we have who are non-releasable are ones who are either injured in such a way that they couldn't hunt successfully or care for themselves successfully, like a bit of a wing injury or uh, an issue with one eye or something like that. Um, or there's another category that we call human imprinting. And that's where uh, a bird might come in who has been raised illegally by people, um, either somebody who didn't realize that that's not a great idea or somebody maybe unfortunately didn't care. And that animal grew up around people thinking that food comes from people and that it's safe to be around people and that's an animal who is not going to do great out in nature and is right. going to get themselves into trouble so a human imprint might not have any physical injuries they just don't understand how to survive in the wild and that's another category of bird that we might end up with in our program last one for you and we got about 30 seconds how does the beer taste and where can we get it Oh man, actually the beers are really great. So Royal City, they make all kinds of great beers, but the, I'm particularly partial to a pale ale and they chose a pale ale for our collab. So that was a, a really great, pleasant surprise. Uh, and it's lovely. It's a great summer beer, a, a little bit hoppy, just a little bit hazy. Uh, I think it's a, a fantastic beer to enjoy at a summer barbecue in your backyard. Um, for now, it's available at the Royal City Brew Bottle Shop, so you have to come up to Guelph. Uh, but they do also ship the beer, so if you check out the website, uh, you can have it sent right to your doorstep. All right, sounds like a plan. Jennifer, uh, we learned a lot this morning. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you again so much for having us. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.